Today, we continue our conversation with Nate Martin as we learn not only about Bitcoin, but what our federal government is doing in the near future. The Grid, a digital frontier. I pictured patriots as they moved throughout our country. Do they look like individuals or small business? Were the rallies like church? I keep dreaming of a world I hope to one day see. And then, today, I got in. Hello, fellow Americans. This is Chris Coleman, your host with the Kingdom Patriot Group. Welcome to The Grid, where faith, politics, and commerce intersect. If you're a business owner, you know hiring quality team members is a real challenge. And a bad hire can destroy workplace culture and cost you tens of thousands of dollars to unwind. That's why we use Red Balloon. They specialize in connecting job seekers and employers with aligned values without all of that woke nonsense. Over 15,000 job seekers visit redballoon.work every single week, looking for businesses that won't force them to pledge allegiance to a bunch of liberal policies. Every job seeker on Red Balloon pledges to pursue excellence in their work, create success for themselves and their employer, and avoid bringing personal political agendas into the workplace. At redballoon.work, learn about the packages for entrepreneurs, small businesses, larger enterprise businesses, and even a recruiter service to help you find the right people. Finding the right people can make or break your company's future. Check out redballoon.work today. Welcome to this week's News in Review. And for our first story, we go to Whitworth University, which is a private Christian university in Spokane, Washington. So that ought to give you a clue. We are talking about the state of Washington. And this involves Turning Point USA, which was founded by Charlie Kirk, and the student government. So here is the story. The student government voted 9-4 to to reject the local chapter of Turning Point USA because they had a request to host an individual named G. Van Fleet. Now, this individual is a survivor of Maoist China. She went through the Mao Zedong years in which genocide was committed, and she was invited to speak on campus. But here's the problem. It wasn't that she had a compelling story to tell about communism. It was the fact that she's highly critical of woke culture, critical race theory, and the like. And because of this, they rejected her coming on campus. I think that's horrible. But what's even more horrible is that it happened at a Christian university, which by definition you would normally expect to be more conservative and to really appreciate the fight for faith and freedom. In our next story, we head over to Illinois. As an Illinois judge ruled that the city of Chicago must rehire and pay back lost wages of unionized city employees who were fired or disciplined for violating COVID-19 vaccine requirements. Now, you may not be aware, but in 2021, Mayor Lori Lightfoot announced that all city employees must be fully vaccinated, and she warned there would be consequences for any city employee who was not fully vaccinated by October of 2021. This was obviously not well received by the union, and now that it's gone through the courts, the court said, yeah, you can't do that. And not only do you have to rehire them, not only do you have to pay back their lost wages, but you also have to pay back their lost wages at a 7% annual interest. So we're talking about Chicago that has no money in the first place. And here, because of bad policy, bad leadership, bad executive branch, is getting hit even again. 
And from Chicago, we head to North Carolina, particularly the University of North Carolina. So House Bill 96 in North Carolina actually would require that universities provide constitutional courses. In fact, it would require the students to take a three-credit-hour course covering Americans' founding and history, and required reading for the course would include the U.S. Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Emancipation Proclamation, at least five essays from the Federalist Papers, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from Birmingham Jail, and the Gettysburg Address. Now, I'm a little bit torn on this because, to me, this is exactly what we should require, the kind of thing we should require for U.S. citizenship. However, when you have a private university like the University of North Carolina, should the government require this kind of teaching? I don't know. I'm kind of torn on that. But that's not what the real story here to me is. The real story is that 673 professors from this university signed a petition to absolutely protest this. And I know that they're not protesting from the point of view that, hey, that's violating freedom of speech. They're protesting because they don't want to teach it. To me, that's the bigger eye-opening story. The fact that there's that many professors who reject the idea of teaching from the America's founding documents. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, don't be sending your kids to UNC anytime soon. So from the Carolinas, we head over to the White House. And man, I've heard about this before, but to actually see it in more detail is actually shocking. So Biden was speaking alongside South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol in the White House Rose Garden. I mean, presidents do that all the time. But a photographer happened to capture a picture of a small cheat sheet in the president's hand, and it showed that the president had advanced knowledge of the very first question from Los Angeles Times journalist Courtney Subramanian. And the small paper didn't just, like, cover a topic. It included a picture of the reporter, including the reporter's pronunciation of her last name, and the entire question was written out. And this is what it actually said. on: How are you squaring your domestic priorities, like reshoring semiconductor manufacturing with alliance-based force policy? That's what this question said. Well, this is not the first time this has happened with Biden. There's been other types where he's been caught with a cheat sheet, and even ones that tell him to do the most mundane and basic of tasks. For instance, there was one where he actually was caught with a note card that said, you enter the Roosevelt Room and say hello to participants. The first bullet point read, and then it said, you take your seat. I mean, people, this is the guy who is supposed to be leading the free world. This is the guy who has access to the nuclear football, who literally can't go into a room and say hi or sit down without having a note card telling him to do so. This should frighten every single one of us. In economic news, it just came out that First Republic Bank is to be taken over by the FDIC, aka another bank failure. The FDIC decided this bank has no more time to pursue a private sector rescue. So they were being placed under receivership under the U.S. Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation imminently, according to this report. Another bank, another failure, while pretty much the media goes silent. In other related economic news, the reports are saying that Disney, Amazon, they're starting to lay people off by the thousands. I know Biden keeps telling us this is the strongest economy ever, but the real world says something totally 
different. And probably our most disturbing story of the day is this whole idea of gender identity. Well, it's not just gender anymore. In fact, this article is titled From Transgendered to Transabled. Transabled, have you heard that? Yes, people are actually choosing to identify as handicapped individuals. And this may sound crazy, and this is not necessarily occurring a ton in our country yet, but it is occurring around the world, and it will soon be here. And it's this idea that I want to be disabled. Well, that's one thing to say you want to identify. Like, you want, you want to have empathy for someone who is paralyzed, but that's not what's happening. There are people around the world who are having doctors snip their spinal cord in order to make them paralyzed or to put their eyes out so they can be blind. I mean, people, this, this is deception. This is serious mental illness. When you say, I want to take perfectly good functioning parts and I want to damage them or amputate them so I can identify as a disabled person. In fact, this is the first and foremost and number one violation of the Hippocratic Oath, which says, first, you do no harm. Physicians who are willing to take a perfectly good body part off an individual so they can identify as, as something else or identify as a disabled person, somebody has their leg amputated, no, that is something evil and wrong with this. Not only that, there are societal consequences because somebody will have to take care of those individuals. They will likely end up on some sort of social support that the taxpayer pays for. And as you probably know, people get Medicare disability when they're disabled. Does that mean that if you intentionally disable yourself, you now are going to qualify for federal funding and financial support that the rest of the taxpayers are going to have to pay for? I mean, come on, people. This is unbelievable. Our society needs Jesus more than ever. And lastly, in our Hunter Biden news, I should say our Hunter Biden weekly news, it just keeps getting better. Now Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is being accused of lying under oath about his contact with Hunter Biden. Well, let me take a pause here while I fall over from shock. I mean, we kind of knew this. Not only are these folks incompetent, but the truth continually evades their lips. More to come. Seems like this is going to be a weekly news. So lastly, how about I just share an encouraging scripture with you? When you read news like this, it can really weigh on you heavy. But I think this is a perfect time to go to John 16, 33 in the Amplified Version. And this is what scripture says. I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. But be of good cheer. Take courage, be confident, certain, and undaunted. For I have overcome the world, I have deprived it of power to harm you, and have conquered it for you. Wow, what an encouragement. Folks, for this week's News and Review, that's a wrap. We have a very special guest with us. He is an unashamed Christian, and relevant to today's discussion, he's also the host of the podcast, The Bitcoin Effect, and he's also the face and voice behind 99Bitcoins, the organization dedicated to help translating and training novices in all things Bitcoin. I would like you to meet Nate Martin. Last week, we ended the podcast regarding Bitcoin, and I posed this question. Is a federal digital currency system with cashless entry into national parks just a gateway to more central control of U.S. currency? Well, today we jump right back into that conversation with Nate Martin. 
Nate, what's the latest you're hearing in the news, and should we be concerned? This is from LifeSite on March 25th. Federal Reserve announces July launch of central bank digital currency infrastructure. Uh, that should that should scare you to death. So tell me why I should be scared. What do, what does it mean for somebody like me who is a complete novice when it comes to digital currency? Well, if you take a look at, and I, I'm not well versed on this, but what I can tell you is that in China, you have money that can expire, sort of like a coupon. You know how you kind of clip coupons, or we used to, and it has an expiration date on the bottom. Well, you can't get those savings after that date. Well, they're actually doing that with your money. You have to spend it. That's basically a business stimulus program to where you can't store your value. I actually have to, you know, spend it in a specific period of time. Well, then it's not money. It sounds like vacation at many employers. You use it or you lose it. Exactly. So it's forced economic activity. Exactly. So if I took that a step further, forced economic activity would, by definition, I, I think, say you just can't have savings. Yeah, or there's only so much savings that you can have, and that you know that poses a problem, because then you're literally forcing people that are are producing to distribute that wealth, either by in services or or whatever assets I suppose that you can garner, but that poses a problem when you have a government uh, entity that can determine whether or not you can spend money or what you can spend it on. And I know that I wanted to touch on the Restrict Act, which is um, w- which is scarier than even the Fed now or CBDC. Okay. Because um, you take a look at that, and it's fifty-five pages long, and it, it is advertised to ban TikTok, and yeah, it bans TikTok. But what it also does is it gives all authority to the Secretary of Commerce as to what a foreign entity is or a for a threat, and whether or not either communication or transactions can occur with that entity. But it's totally up to the decision of the Secretary of Commerce to determine what those things are. And that's a slippery slope because when does it turn into a domestic threat? When does it turn into a, a, a social credit score like, like China has to where you can't spend money with this entity because its social credit score is too low, effectively closing that business down because it can't transact business. Yeah, when you first put me onto the, to, to that act, I went and read it and there was a couple of things that stuck out at me. Number one, it consolidates power into a regulatory agency, not Congress. Right. It gave the Secretary of Commerce sole interpretive authority to determine what that threat is. It gave him sole ability to review whatever transactions he he felt were necessary based on his interpretation of a threat. And it was really interesting, very strange language. Normally, you would think that Congress has the ability to intervene in if a regulatory agency has overstepped. But this act, in essence, prohibits that. It says that Congress has no authority to stop this interpretation. It only has the authority to come in and challenge after it's already occurred. So I thought that I thought that was very interesting. Effectively giving the legislature judicial powers, which makes no sense whatsoever. You know, this becomes unconstitutional, but so is the Patriot Act. In fact, there are a number of different legislators um, and former legislators, including including uh, Tulsi Gabbard, who has spoken out on numerous social media platforms saying this is the Patriot Act 2.0 for the Internet. 
and it kills privacy, the Fourth Amendment stuff. And you're talking about the Secretary of Commerce effectively being able to tell you whether or not you can spend money. You add that to a, a central bank digital currency, and there's no freedom left to be able to transact, do business, or we're stuck at bartering again uh, with anybody else that's within the country or outside of the country if they determine that that transaction is being given to a foreign entity that is a threat up to the Secretary of Commerce. So your, your average American is going to listen to some of this stuff in the news, Nate, without having listening, listened to this podcast, and they're not mm-hmm. going to make a connection between what they call the banned TikTok Act and digital currency of the Fed. But they're obviously incredibly closely tied. But there's one step that I think is missing, and I'm not sure, I'd be curious if you know how that step is going to occur. So the Restrictive Act, is it restrict or restrictive? Restrict Act, Act. is Mm -hmm. giving the Secretary of Commerce the ability to review transactions that he deems, he or her deems a threat. Right. But there, there at some point, the step has to be taken to just to remove the threat and just review all transactions. How are they going to get there? That's a question that it's tough to answer. I'm going to speculate wildly here. So just understand that nothing that what I say here is has been researched that much or don't fact check it because I'm literally these are wrong. I'm not giving you the uh, the prophetic stamp of Ezekiel or Daniel on this one, but I am asking your opinion. (laughs) Well, um, when you take a look at how people have been frightened by bank closures, uh, people have been frightened by news of the dollar losing its global reserve status. You take that news and you, you get this sort of undercurrent of fear that you're putting into the American public. And more and more you see socialist regimes and totalitarian regimes, they instill fear first and then come in as the hero and say, we can take care of you. We can offer you security. And if I don't have to quote you the Ben Franklin quote. Basically, if, if you uh, trade freedom for security, you end up with neither and you deserve neither. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah, that's pretty close to a decent paraphrase that actually makes sense. That has been the bent of any totalitarian society is to instill fear and then bring a solution. And then that solution affects more control over the populace than when they first began. So that's the basic general gist. How does it come to that conclusion with a CBDC? Well, first of all, it starts with the bank closures. It starts with around the bank. It starts with the fear of hyperinflation because if the dollars, if the more than 50% of dollars that are in existence overseas are no longer desired by those people overseas, they're going to come back into this country causing more inflation because suddenly we have more demand for the products that we have here in the country through dollars. There, if there are more dollars and the same number of things to buy with those dollars, well, then guess what's going to happen to the price? And that's, that's the fear. And you add that to the interest rates and the manipulation of such, and we talked about that uh, in uh, the earlier part of this discussion, Uh, to the point where community and regional banks are already insolvent or that close to insolvent to where the government can come in and say, we call you insolvent, therefore you are, and we're just going to take over. These are the steps. Do Do they fit a map? Not that I can see yet, but I think that we can see footprints heading in a direction that we don't want them to go. Well, it's interesting that you say that. 
I actually was going to ask you, what are the mechanics and how is this going to be sold? I think you've answered the second part very easily. It's going to be sold through fear. And I actually think that fear is already there. It's percolating. And, and you know, the, the bank in California, Sun Valley, is that what it was? I forget its name. So, it was Silicon Valley, Valley Bank. Bank, Signature Bank was yeah. the other one. So Silicon Valley, Valley Bank and Signature Bank and then Credit Suisse. These, these are mm-hmm. well-known entities in the economic stratosphere. And um, I think the fear is percolating already. So if the fear is already there and it all it needs is a nudge, and then we have this digital currency system coming on in July, does that mean the mechanics are going to be ready as well? Uh, the mechanics are going to be ready. And they're going to be testing the mechanics of it through what what uh, through swift um transfers through basically through overnight uh settlements from bank to bank and if it works there well then they can start implementing it through the retail market and once they do that well then we have a digital currency that is completely free of any privacy capabilities that you might have had whatsoever and then i think about you know we we're actually working on a podcast to really dive into the the deep components of esg we've already talked about uh, sort of globally, but when you start thinking of environmentalism and like what you called the, uh, you have the social credit scores, you have the carbon credit scores. I I don't think that's going to be sold to the public. I think what's going to be sold is the system's going to fail if we don't step in, sign on. And then once you sign on, then these other components are just going to start coming online whenever they're able to do so. Oh yeah. And you can go back in history to uh, two particular instances that I can think of. One is Bretton Woods and the other one is uh, Nixon uh, basically saying gold is no longer what we're going to be backing our money with. And that was supposed to fix the system. Well, we all we all know what happened back in the 70s after uh, that got turned loose. Uh, we had stagflation through the mid to late 70s and Bretton Woods kind of put a pseudo gold standard together, but it left us at the point where governments were printing more money than they had gold to back it. And therein lies the problem with governments actually having central control over any monetary unit. And now, uh, as I read most recently, the IMF is now trying to introduce a global uh, CBDC called UMU, Universal Monetary Unit, which I just ran across yesterday and I haven't had enough time to actually do any research on that. But effectively what they're trying to do is create a centralized store of value to be government controlled and backed. I put that in quotes because there's no such thing as a government backed currency to rival such things as Bitcoin, Ethereum, Ripple, and the like. They're trying to maintain control over monetary policy, and that's the best way they can do it. I'll be right back after this. Folks, how can you get involved with the Kingdom Patriot Group? So glad that you asked. The first thing is to follow and like The Grid on your favorite podcast platform. Secondly, go to our website at kingdompatriot.us, and when the window pops up, put in your name and email address so that we can keep you informed of the issues that are important to you. And lastly, you can become an actual member in which you pay $9.99 a month or $99 a year. And with that membership, you get our free vaccine religious exemption toolkit that we've prepared. You get digital copies of the U.S. Declaration of Independence and Constitution. And finally, you also get a digital copy of the book, Phenomenal Christianity, Kingdom Patriot Edition. We've structured ourselves 
to be a for-profit organization so that the government cannot tell us what we can and cannot talk about. But in order to do that, we need your help. Follow, like, share, subscribe, and become a member of the Kingdom Patriot Group so that you can join the fight for faith and freedom. So I, you know, this is this is clearly just another step towards a one-world government. We we're, we're seeing it with the United Nations. We're seeing it through the WHO. We're seeing it through the World Economic Forum. But none of that, to me, is effective unless you go to a global currency or something like that. That that is the one that people. The the challenge with that is you can't escape it. Once that comes online, it's no longer I'm going to opt out of this or I'm going to as a country. You can be choked off literally economically, and your country can be destroyed if if you don't sign on. So. You know, to take that the next step, what happens to Bitcoin? So the United States has our, uh, the government has a, a centrally controlled digital currency. What happens to Bitcoin and Ethereum and these other digital currencies? I'll speak to Bitcoin uh, I, because I believe that Ethereum is a security uh, along with other blockchains that operate similarly as Ethereum does. Uh, those are platforms that have boards of directors that can turn on turn on and off and off switch uh, through a back door at any given time. And they have. I take a look at Solana, which has had three or four different um, uh, stoppages in their blockchain because they've had problem with the code. Um, Bitcoin doesn't operate that way. It, it, it has one function and it does it well and it has for nearly 15 years. And that is to be money, to be decentralized, to be fungible, to be divisible and to be auditable every 10 minutes. And that's why I speak so highly of it. And I believe that um, the Bitcoin and the proof of work protocol is the best way to actually operate money on a global scale without any government control or manipulation. So let's restrict the conversation then to Bitcoin for the very fact it is the antithesis of, of a federal digital monetary system. What happens to it? If the United States and Europe and all these other countries sign on either to their own digital currency that's government controlled or we have we have a worldwide digital currency system, what happens to Bitcoin? Uh, Bitcoin is uh, what Bitcoin has is too many fronts for any one government to try to fight at any one time. In fact, there are Bitcoin nodes which not not miners, they don't actually write the pages, but there are Bitcoin verifiers, for lack of a better term, in space. They're literally on satellites. And so Bitcoin actually operates and has digital letters outside of the atmosphere of, of, of the world. How are you going to try and take those out and the thousands of other individuals and entities that have computers that are saying, this is the Bitcoin ledger, this is what, this is what every account has in it, and we can validate whether a transaction is good or bad. Now, what does that mean in, a, in an economy where you think that you can just shut off the internet? No, you really can't. You can't shut off the internet because then all commerce stops and so does all government capable transactions as well. And so they're, they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because you have an asset that is not physical so you can't attack it in any particular place it's not controlled in any one place. So how do you attack it in any one place or any number of places? Because there are, there are nodes that are uh, operating um, outside of the internet. They're, they're operating on Tor and in, in, uh, on the dark web. So how do you chase it? You're, you're gonna be chasing your tail so often and that's why Bitcoin is so resilient. And it has been over the last you know, 15 years because 
the decentralization and the robustness of the network and the operation of Bitcoiners by making sure that the protocol is solid, safe, and decentralized. That's what protects the store of value that Bitcoin is. So um, are you a Marvel fan at all? I used to be uh, up until probably the third movie after the Avengers. And then I'm, I, I kind of like there's too many episodes. Th there are. Uh, what you're describing a little bit sounds like the, the movie Age of Ultron, where Ultron was everywhere that you couldn't defeat one machine and get rid of him. It kind of sounds like that's how Bitcoin is. It is literally in cyberspace. Now, yes, but Ultron was a villain. Now, knock that off. Because... Good point. Good point. The mechanics of it, I, I want to be clear. Uh, yeah, but Bitcoin is not AI. Bitcoin is operated through open source um, coding. So anybody can see So it sounds is. like, at least for the foreseeable future, because of Bitcoin's decentralization and its resiliency, it's not going to face an immediate threat. Is that, is that what I hear you saying? Bitcoin is the threat to the universal monetary unit. To it is the threat to that unit, but Bitcoin being erased from as a digital currency is not currently, I mean, that's just, it's not, it's not feasible. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. There are, just, there are just too many people and, and too many resources that are uh, invested into it. In fact, uh, I just read something. I haven't confirmed it, but Berkshire Hathaway has just uh, actually invested four plus billion dollars into Bitcoin. So you've got major uh, institutional players that have their hands in the game. It's just a matter of how do you deal with the uh, the regulatory confusion that's going on in Congress? Yeah, right I think, you know, it remains to be seen whether an economy can choke it off as a means of buying and selling everyday product versus being an investment. Sounds like there's no way to get rid of the investment piece of it. Whether or not you can be an accepted currency in the economy, I'm, I, I don't know. I, I actually differentiate Bitcoin from being an investment because when you're investing in something, you are you are betting on the value of the profitability of the underlying company. That's, that's my understanding. There's profit to be made, meaning you're going to have more than what you put in in that unit of value. What, I, what I'm doing is I'm trading my dollars for Bitcoin because I think that Bitcoin is going to hold its value better than the U.S. dollar over time. And I'm going to be able to extract more value from my Bitcoin, whether that be through purchases, through trade, or that, whether that be through, uh, through utilizing it for other currencies that may or may not exist in, in the near to, uh, to far future. So I think Bitcoin is better money. I don't think that Bitcoin is an investment. I think that it'll store my value and my work better. So this has been very, very helpful. My question to you is, as we talk about the CBDC, as we talk about the Restrict Act and the steps that our government is taking, what can you do? What can I do? What's beginning to happen in the Bitcoin community is there is they we're beginning to get out of the mindset of hodling. And uh, let me explain that because a lot of people don't even understand what that word means. H-O-D-L was initially a misspelling in a Reddit thread of holding Bitcoin. So it turned into hodling or hodling Bitcoin. And the community just took that on as, hey, that's what you do. You have diamond hands. You never let go. You never sell because... This is going to be the money of the future. So don't get rid of your Bitcoin. Okay. Finally, hands are beginning to open, but not to sell for fiat, not to, not to go back to try to make profit in dollars, if you will, 
but to actually create an economy with Bitcoin. You've got farmers and ranchers that are now accepting Bitcoin. I accept Bitcoin for services that I provide. I don't need to take dollars for that. I can take anything I want to, okay? And so if, if I am actually creating or uh, growing an economy with a decentralized money so that we can actually interact economically one with another without government control, then that is the next step toward making sure that we have privacy, that we have freedom of transaction, that we have uh, the capability to say yes or no to an economic transaction on our own without Big Brother saying whether or not we can do it. So in playing the long game is to actually participate. What I'm hearing you, if I can you know, make it simple, is participate in this economic activity. Yeah, participate economically with Bitcoin for your products and services, just like you would with dollars. Now, I understand that the value of Bitcoin uh, differs greatly on a regular basis only because of the youth of it and because it is just getting its legs under it as far as a reputation is concerned. But over the last 14, 15 years, it has shown to be extremely resilient and extremely secure. So what can we do legislatively? Is this, is this an opportunity where we contact our legislators and make our voices heard to absolutely oppose the Restrict Act and ask them to put some serious regulations around this, uh, the Fed now, this, this central bank digital currency? Well, I've had a conversation just recently with Dennis Porter, who is um, the face, voice, and legs of the Satoshi Action Fund. And what he does with them is he actually gets in front of legislators and creates and helps to pass bills that are pro-Bitcoin. Uh, his most recent one that I just saw was in um, Missouri or Arkansas, where they have a pro-Bitcoin mining bill that was just passed. Uh, right now, he's fighting a battle, uh, believe it or not, in Texas. They have an anti-mining bill in Texas uh, that has passed the Senate, and he's working to make sure that that doesn't pass the House because Bitcoin mining is an integral part of making sure that the Bitcoin network stays pure, if you will, uh, making sure that correct pages, that valid pages enter each block, block after block, so that the Bitcoin network uh, stays secure. That's interesting. Nate, you are a wealth of knowledge on this subject, and I know you've tried to assure me that that you know bits and pieces, but I think generally for the average, average American this is quite educational for them. I want to double check and make sure I said that right. Did I say Bitcoin or Satoshi Action Fund? You said the Bitcoin in Texas, but you, but you said uh, the gentleman's name was with Satoshi. Dennis Porter. Yeah. And the, or, and the organization is Satoshi Action Fund. And he also has uh, something called Satoshi Education, which uh, is his effort to help more people know more and more about Bitcoin. We'll make sure that 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 uh, that that gentleman and in, in his uh, organization that the funds are in our show notes. That's great. Yeah, I, I know Dennis, and uh, he's a great guy. And for him to, uh, you know, matter of fact, I tweeted out just recently. I said, "There's nobody who's doing more in a tougher venue than state houses across the country to try to affect legislation." in those halls is a difficult thing to do. Well, I certainly would like to reach out to you in the future and, and have you on as we see updates occurring in the political space or even the economic space. I would look forward to uh, having those conversations. Awesome. Folks, absolutely rich information. I'm so thankful that Nate could come on and share some of his expertise. This is only one piece of the puzzle. 
And in future podcasts, we'll be unrolling these pieces and how digital currency, the feds, control, ESG, how all of these things fit together, which I believe are leading us closer and closer to the fulfillment and revelation where you will not be able to buy or sell without having the mark. Again, that's Nate Martin, founder of Blue Polo Media, the face and voice of 99 Bitcoins, and the host of the Bitcoin Effect podcast. Until next time. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Grid. And a special thanks to our sponsor, Red Balloon, and all the pushback they're doing against wokeness in the workplace. Go to redballoon.work today to learn how like-minded job seekers and employers can find each other. Be sure to visit our website at kingdompatriot.us to join the movement of faith and freedom. That's kingdompatriot.us. Join today so that together we can make a difference. Your membership is appreciated, your input is valued, and your voice is needed. I'm Chris Coleman, and I am a Kingdom Patriot. Music